Hey everyone, this is Dawei from Exponential, and you're listening to DJ Responsibly, a podcast where we invite protocol builders to showcase their innovations, how they work, as well as do a deep dive on risk. Exponential is an investment platform that makes it easy to discover, assess, and invest in DeFi yield opportunities. We want to help you understand the trade-offs and opportunities so you can degen responsibly. This week, we chatted with Rock Cop, the co-founder and chief growth officer at EtherFi, to talk about how the platform enables stakers to retain control of their keys. We also talked about the upcoming launch of their liquid staking token EE and the associated benefits and risks involved in restaking via Eigenlayer. Hey Rock, thanks for thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, excited to chat. Nice, nice. Yeah, before we uh, dive into to EtherFi, could you just give us a, a high level overview of, of your background, um, and you know what what led to EtherFi? Yeah, so um, the uh, I I came into crypto um, from the the Web two world, so uh, I've been a startup person. Uh, my whole life and uh mike who's who's our ceo and founder um we worked uh together at his last company um and so we you know we, we stayed in touch i ran a sales team over there we had stayed in touch uh actually in 2012 2013 um started dabbling a bit uh in crypto mike bought some bitcoin uh you know doing like a a sketchy like paypal transfer thing um he didn't end up keeping it, but uh, anyway, we, we kind of stayed around the crypto stuff and, and messed around with it. Uh, and then in 2021, after Mike sold the company, uh, Top Hat, the, the Web2 company, um, we started a crypto hedge fund. Uh, and so we had two strategies. One was like a market neutral strategy, and then one was an ETH staking strategy that was gaining a lot of traction. Um, and what we found is, is that um, there was a ton of interest in the staking strategy, uh, but we weren't happy with any of like the the counterparty risk that was out there for the staking options. So uh, the options were either a very like centralized staking providers, which provide like a great service, you know, and so um, you know they they do a really good job, and there's professional node operators, uh, and then the decentralized options um, we thought either had issues with scaling, um, or would have issues with scaling, or were like very pseudo decentralized. So. Um, we started looking into it and like, hey, there's there's an opportunity to build something here. And so uh, that's kind of why we focused on building the um, the protocol and, and doing, you know, what we did. Nice. Yeah. Be- before we uh, talk a bit about some of those other competitors you you mentioned, um, yeah, at, at a high level, what does EtherFi do and how, how does it work? Yeah, good question. So um, EtherFi is uh, non-custodial uh uh, liquid staking. And so we're, we're built on Ethereum. Uh, the stakers control their keys, which is something unique to our protocol uh, that no one else has. And so uh, they can use permissioned or non-permissioned node operators. We're very big on kind of decentralization and making sure that that kind of, um, you know, we're doing the right thing for uh, the Ethereum network um, and also for, for the stakers. Uh, and so the... Uh, you know that basically like the biggest two things that we are always focused on is that you keep your keys um and that we're you know very decentralized um there's just a lot of uncertainty i think around staking specifically and in the u.s specifically i guess as well um you know kraken got shut down uh coinbase had a couple things so it's like it seems like the sec is really like putting staking between the, the crosshairs i'll say 
Um, and so I think that's that's one thing that we're really trying to pay attention to and, and uh, you know, do good at. The other thing that we're doing that's unique is we're the first um, liquid staking token that is uh, going to be natively restaked. So we're going to work with Eigenlayer um, and uh, BlockSwap. Like there's there's other restaking people that are coming here. Eigenlayer, I think, is kind of dominated so far. But there's a lot of really other cool players that are coming up, uh, which is super exciting. So um, the the unique thing about us and it being natively staked is uh, you can get the points from restaking that Eigenlayer gives out, which, um, you know, it seems like could lead to an airdrop based off like what they've said, but who knows. Um, but these Eigen pods have filled up with like, you know, um, ST ETH or CB ETH or R ETH. When people commit their um, liquid staking token to those Eigen pods, they lock them up and they lose all composability in DeFi. They can't, you know, go LP into pools or do any like of that, the fun stuff that, that people like to do um, in DeFi. And so with ours, you can actually, uh, you still maintain the ability to go LP into pools while gaining the points um, of the Eigenlayer, uh, you know, Eigenpod. And then you also gain staking rewards from, from EtherFi and then uh, EtherFi loyalty points as well. So kind of like a quadruple dip, uh, which we think will play pretty well with the DGENs. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you guys... Um... I think in my mind, I have, have, have the two really interesting uh, differentiators. Um, it's, it's what you mentioned about uh, EtherFi being the only, uh, I guess, not, non-custodial liquid staking solution where, where the users actually retain control of their keys. Um, and the second thing is, is the inter- integration with Eigenlayer. Um, just to jump back on, into, the, into the, the concept of holding your own keys, could, could we just like talk about that a little bit more, uh, go a little deeper in terms of what that means? Um, my understanding is right now, uh, there, there's two keys essentially that that matter for for stakers. You have the validator key, uh, which is essentially like a like a hot key for the validators to uh, test and sign blocks, and then you have a withdrawal key, which kind of points to a an address where uh, if if you wanted to exit your stake, that's where the ETH would be sent. Um, is I guess my question is, how does that all work with EtherFi um, in the backend? Yeah. Really good question. So um, the, the the you're right. So the evolution that Ethereum went through, going from proof of work to proof of stake, uh, made staking more unique, right, and, and more difficult. We'll call it. Um, so like other proof of stake chains, staking's pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Um, but since uh, Ethereum transitioned from proof of work to proof of stake, it, it caused some complications. So there are two keys, and so uh, how ours work on EtherFi is the staker generates those keys. And so the BNFT um, uh, is a, that's our two ETH bond that is on the validators. Um, and so those keys are generated and the staker holds the withdrawal keys. So they can exit the validator at any moment. What they do is they send an encrypted file over to the, the node operator. So the node operator can then spin up the the validator to do the, the necessary things that they have to do. Um, but should something happen to one of our like permission node operators, where you know, let's say like there's a, there's a sanction or they have to you know shut down, whatever it might be, right? There's a variety of different things that can happen. Um, well, the staker still has full control of the the validator, so they are able to exit and take their ETH. Um, at that point. So at, at no point can anyone outside of the staker take the ETH out of the validator. 
Uh, so we just think that that's like a super advantageous um, thing. And it's, it's, uh, it was non-trivial to build it, um, you know, but uh, it's, it's kind of like one of the really, really big differentiators for us that we thought was making sure the stakers had full custody um, in, in full control of their uh, ETH at all times. Yeah. And then, you know, how, how would you say this compares to some of the, the large incumbents that we see in the market today, whether that's a Lido or, or a Rocket Pool or, or a Fraxy, um, for, for those players, I think your, 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 your assessment is that there, there's a lot of tail risk there since, since they do hold the, the validator or withdrawal keys. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, it, there's a lot of great options um, that are out there. Uh, Lido obviously is uh, kind of dominated the liquid staking space. I mean, they created the space, and uh, you know, they they made this this whole space a reality in this massive, massive market. Um, you know, I think if if you were to talk to any anyone on the Lido team or any of the founders, um, they probably would not build the protocol the way they did uh, if they had the information they did now. Um, but when they built it, they, they just gave their best guess of what withdrawals would look like. Uh, withdrawals had not been actually like finalized by Ethereum. So no one knew really what it looked like. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what they did and, and why they, they focus on that. Um, 32, I think it is 31, 32 node operators control all the keys for Lido's stake. Um, so if you think about that, like 32 node operators control all the keys for 30, like what is it 32.5 percent of the stake on ethereum right now uh which is pretty crazy right so like something yeah. after one of those node operators like um you know and, and like hopefully nothing does but like again staking seems to be the thing that is in the crosshairs of governments um and so in and, and there's other things right like say someone got uh say an employee got the keys or whatever it's just it's a lot of concentration and not a lot of uh validators so um, yes, so that's one thing. Um, I, you know, Frax, I think, is just a whole different ballgame uh, as far as staking um, goes and, and like what they, they will do. Um, you know, I think uh, Frax has their uh, their huge fans and then they have their like huge uh, turrets. So, but they're doing good stuff in the space. Uh, we really like what Rocket Pool is doing. I think they've done amazing stuff. Um, they're super focused on like I think the good of Ethereum and decentralization. Um, uh, the biggest thing I think that has been a challenge for them is scaling um, because their bonding mechanism um, of eight feet has just been a challenge. Um, they've like tried to do these mini pools and stuff, but it, it's still like a challenge. So anyway, th there's tons of options and, and we think that it's good to have options, right? Like there's there's more people that are coming out to like Stakewise V3 is coming out. Um, and then... Uh, you know, there's other like great protocols out there as well. Um, you know, they, they give people options too. And when you, when you when you say Staker um, holds their own keys, this is not uh, this is not correlated with the ETH holders, right? Um, for That's, for ETH for ETH holder, they they don't actually hold any keys. They're just minting um, a, a liquid staking token that that represents a, a share of the of the stake token with one of the, with one of your uh, permission or permissionless node operators. That's correct. Yeah. So, so ETH does not hold any keys, but um, it, the greater staking community, you know, holds the keys uh, on that. So, but that's correct. ETH just comes from the um, 
the like liquidity pool uh, that is created. Okay, it, it, got it. And then, so what, what would be the process for someone who com- comes to Etherify? They they deposit their ETH to mint EETH. Uh, wh- how where does that ETH get routed to? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, uh, so super ex- like our, our launch actually our waitlist is going out later this week. Um, so we'll have our first stakers uh, go through, and then actually everyone will be able to stake. Uh, starting next week, we think it's going to be Wednesday, but you know who knows? Devs, devs, dev, and so sometimes that gets pushed back. Um, but next Wednesday, uh, November fifteenth, anyone should be able to go to Ether .fi. Um, you know, you put your connect your wallet, you swap your ETH for ETH, um, and then basically what happens with that ETH is when they're when groups of thirty two um, get positioned, we will match them up with a staker um, and then a node operator uh, who's like made a bid on it. The staker generates keys. They control the keys. Node operator then, you know, gets the encrypted keys and they spin up the validator. Um, and then you start earning rewards. So um, for the, the user, it looks fairly simple. You just connect uh, your wallet. You get the EE. Um, you see the rewards that you're going to get. And then like you'll have stats as far as like the APR that's given um you know, through the thing, et cetera. Nice, nice. Uh, pretty timely called uh, with the E launch coming up. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So now, I guess now on the topic of EEs, wanted to dive into um, the the concept of, of liquid restaking. Um, could, could you just talk about what, what restaking is and and, and your partnership with uh, Eigenlayer on that? Yeah, totally. So the... Um, you know, restaking is, we think restaking is going to be massive. Um, and so Eigenlayer is the first one who kind of came up with this idea um, and, and what they are doing. Um, and so, uh, you, you know, cur- currently there is no restaking, right? Like uh, Eigenlayer has been sexy and, and uh, you know, probably the hottest startup of the last 12 months in the crypto world. Um, and they kind of came up with this idea of restaking, but they're still working on like building out their protocol. The only way that you can interact with Eigenlayer currently is by um, going into these Eigenpods where then you you collect points. Um, so that's uh, you know that that's kind of the reality of, of restaking and where it is currently. Um, the uh, but ultimately what restaking will do is uh, for end users the easiest way to think about it is that it will increase rewards. Um, it also increases risk because you are um, repurposing uh the eth that you have and so uh, you know it through these uh what are called avs's and um you know i I think there's still a lot to be seen of how these avs's are going to be routed um but basically you point your withdrawal address from the validator to these avs's um etherfy each individual validator has its own withdrawal address instead of being like a, a pooled thing like um most lsts so we should have like some pretty good flexibility in ABSs. Um, I think one of the biggest things is is that restaking. It, I I would be shocked if it's not popular, just because people will always search for rewards or, or yields, um, and so if they can get increased yield. This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. And, and they deem that it's worth the risk. Uh, they will do it. So, but I think one of the biggest things is that there's there's other flavors of restaking. Um, and not just Eigenlayer. So uh, we have a great relationship with Eigenlayer. 
Uh, we think they're, you know, they're a great team and super excited about what they're building. Uh, but we also think there's, um, you know, some other great teams out there too, like Restaking Cloud is building some good stuff um, right now. And I think you'll see several other people uh, pop up over the the upcoming weeks or months here. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess to re- recap on that, you're, you're basically the the staked ETH is being um, essentially restaked in, into Eigenlayer to provide these uh, validation services to to these middleware uh, protocols like bridges or oracles. Um, and then you do get the main draw, I think, here is to your point, you get that additional yield. Um, but you also get that additional risk with, uh, I, I think there's additional slashing mechanisms that, that Eigenlayer can can take onto the uh, ETH. That's right. Um, yep. Okay. So, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, my, my, I guess my question is, is um, like, what if someone who mints ETH doesn't want that additional uh, risk vector? Um, are, are they just automatically subject to that three? Nope. So you're going to be able to toggle. Um, like when you go to stake, you're going to um, be able to say yes that that I want to um, uh, to restake or, or no, I do not want to restake, and um, you know, kind of go from there. So um, in, in the short term, like I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to restake because like you're again, you're just accruing points. Um, there's no like no AVSs exist yet. Um, so the functionality of a LST or liquid staking token is is very similar to the is the exactly the same as the function of a liquid restaking token or an LRT. Um, so, but but once those AVSs go live, that's when you would expect to generate higher rewards. Um, but again, yeah, you'd have increased risk and then extra slack slashing conditions. So things get a little more complex, and I think yeah, the provider probably matters uh, quite a bit at that time. Yeah, I think the well, and then once the AV the marketplace opens up, is how how would you? Uh, choose where to de- deploy that restake ETH to um, different validator services. Is is that a governance decision or? Um, so yeah, so yes, um, we are working on our path towards like decentralization, and and I think um, you know governance uh, will certainly play a role in that. Um, but there's too many unknowns really to to say. I guess like at, at this point, like uh, whether our like you know, full governance processes is implemented by the time um, AVS has come online or not, like that's kind of TBD. So it's it's a fairly fluid situation, like, you know, and, and, and kind of we're trying to see like into the future of like where things are going. Um, but what we know now is that the, uh, the best way to get the upside of restaking is by going into these eigenpods and um, collecting uh, points for whatever those those might yield in the future. Got it. Okay. Nice. Nice. Um, and then you know, kind of moving back to the protocol side, what what are the fees involved with uh, staking with Ether EtherFi? Um, yeah, like commission rates for node operators, the treasury, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So it's, uh, it's similar to every other liquid staking provider. Ninety percent goes to the staker. Five percent goes to the protocol, and then five percent goes. Okay, yeah, pr- pretty typical um, fees there. Yeah. Um, and then you know, wanted to kind of ask about the withdrawal mechanism as well. Um, now that you know that's been opened up since Chappella, um, but just curious about your your unique position with EE and and that being natively restaked via, via eigenlayer. 
Um, is there like a sort of additional process that that it needs to go through to withdraw your ETH? No. Uh, well, so I, I, yes, I guess the ETH takes seven days to withdraw um, from the liquid staking protocol. Uh, you know, like one of the benefits I think is just having that that quick uh, withdrawal mechanism. So we'll enable that for people um, and allow them to you know move in and out um, as they see fit. So it's really on the validator side that that becomes the challenge where you have to get in and out of validators. Um, it does, I think it's like seven days or something that, um, uh, you know, that, that, uh, it takes something like seven days, I think on the eigenlayer side, if once you get into these eigenpods to get, uh, unrestate, we'll call it in quotes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's right. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I wanted to, touch on another, another subject subject as well I, I think you guys have the operation solo staker initiative um could you kind of talk about what that is and and how you guys are uh, are building that process yeah for sure um so operation solo staker is uh super cool so we we have this thesis that one of the biggest deterrents of people running um you know their own nodes across and that like across the world or from their home was the cost of it in, in not only the hardware cost, but you also needed 32 ETH, um, which, you know, in, in today's world, that's where $64,000 USD. So it's, it's not cheap. Um, add on top of that, the hardware you need. And so anyway, there, there's some really unique things, um, that, that kind of brought this and, and made it a reality. One, since the staker, um, creates the withdrawal keys, you are able to, we are able to create those withdrawal keys and then distribute the, um, the shards to node operators in, in, in other areas. So we, that's why we use, uh, like professional node operators. We can also do this solo staker option. <clears throat> and so the solo staker option, um, like we're unique in the sense that no one else could do this because you would send the ETH to these, um, you know, nodes, but then they would have, uh, the ability to withdraw. So we are giving this like withdrawal mechanism and, and so it keeps the ETH safe. Um, and then the other thing is distributed validator technology. So there's a company called Oval. Uh, there's another company called SSV. But basically what it does is it doesn't rely on just one validator to attest each block. Um, it just needs some mechanism uh, or some like percentage of people on there. So it could be like three out of four validators. It could be seven out of 10 validators uh, need to attest the block. So you basically remove the risk of, uh, you know, one validator having to have like hundred percent uptime basically in, in fear of like missing a block. Um, and so DBT really like allows that. So, uh, it, it's really solo staker became a reality for, for two main reasons. One, the evolution of, of DBT. And then number two, um, you know, the, the way that we created our protocol where we could distribute ETH, um, while still, uh, maintaining control, you know, if, if there was a bad validator acting, um, the, the validator can't get access to the, the ETH either. So, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of our idea and it's gone super well. Like we're, um, we've grown immensely. I think we're on six continents now. Um, so like the biggest thing is trying to figure out how to scale it. Uh, it's, it's still very like manual. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that we, uh, um, really like kind of want to move forward on. Yeah, that's that's super cool. The the distributed validator technology. Um, starting to hear that about that a little bit more, and 
I think it, it, it to me it sounds pretty much like a like a multi-sig on on your uh, on your validator keys where um, it, it gets sharded between these four different node operators and you just need three out of four to to attest to these uh, transactions. Yes, um, pre- pretty cool stuff. Um, wanted to kind of move in move on to the the risk aspect uh, a little bit more. Um, what, what would you say today in your view is, is sort of the biggest risks to Ether five? Um, whether that that's like the smart contract side or or um, maybe maybe infrastructure side with ETH and and its staking evolution. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think that like the, the smart contract risk is always something. Um, we invested a lot in audits. Uh, we have a bug bounty program. Um, so like you know we take security very very important. Um, or we like hold it to a very high bar. So. There, we're doing everything we can to make sure the product is secure. Um, ultimately, is is our protocol uh, of the utmost importance to make sure that stakers or investors' funds are always secure. Um, we prioritize that over rewards, uh, and so you know we're taking all the steps, making sure that we're doing all the things, and uh, we obsess over security and making it, it you know good. Um, I think that. Uh, you know, people were concerned about slashing um, from a from a risk standpoint uh, when staking. Uh, candidly, like there's just not a like, you know, slashing has turned out to not be that big of a threat. Um, I would say. Um, so, like, I, I don't really have concern about that. We do have insurance like set up um, in case there is, uh, you know, some some slashing incident. Um, I think as ABS evolves, that will be that will start to be the riskiest thing. Um, you know, but other than that, I think EE itself is, is pretty secure. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's not that complex of a, a smart contract. Um, and, and we've, you know, got it audited six times. Um, we've gone through bug bounty programs. And so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's in a good place, uh, and, and secure and people's funds are secure because we make it a very big priority. Um. The other thing is obviously if you you go mess around in DeFi too, I can you know start to when we come out in the next week or so, like there'll be pools that people can LP into um, and, and whatnot. So uh, I, I think there's like counterparty risk that, that comes when you start to do stuff like that. But uh, yeah, in a high level, you know we're, we're uh, we feel pretty good about um, you know the investment we've kind of made there. Yeah, um, and you, you you mentioned earlier uh, you know p- progressive decentralization in the, in the I think in the roadmaps. Um, what, what's the outlook there um, in your view? Would you think the protocol will eventually be non-upgradable or, or, or controlled on chain by uh, maybe a governance token? Yeah, I, you know, I think that um, both options are in play. Um, I, I, I think that you'd love to get to a point where um, I think a lot of contracts will become non-upgradable. Um, but we always want to evolve, you know, and so like, you know, making things mutable, like, uh, especially when you're, you're starting out, like I think is, uh, makes things challenging. Um, the other thing is that, uh, you know, when you, in our path towards decentralization, I think it's an advantage to not have that when you're small. Um, and it ultimately becomes an advantage for all participants in the protocol too, because, uh, you need to move fast when you're, you're small in a startup. Um, and so like, you know, if I go back the past 12 months, like, you know, um, 
if we had to go through like a governance vote every time to to get things done, like I just don't think we'd be where we were. Um, and so you, you certainly put some trust in the team on that. But over time, I think it totally makes sense to, um, you know, to rely on governance and, uh, you know, get there. Um, I, I think we, we have a blog that we put up about this, but I think it's uh, Q1 or Q2 of uh, 2024 that we we're, we're aiming to, to finalize that. Yeah, yeah, it's always it's always a hard dilemma for for younger projects um, on on whether to give up too much of that control early on and in, in the name of decentralization. Um, yeah, I think that that all is, makes sense. Um, wanted, wanted to ask what's what's next for EtherFi. I know you mentioned EETH will be launching next week. Um, what can we expect in terms of uh, DeFi yield opportunities? Anything yeah, you can speak of yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of stuff coming up. I mean, I think that, uh, the, I guess the biggest thing that, um, you know, if you're, if you are a yield maxi, I'll call it, uh, you get a lot of exposure. So you get staking rewards from EtherFi, you gain loyalty points from EtherFi, you gain eigenlayer points, uh, from EtherFi. And then, uh, the DeFi protocols that we're, you know, um, going to be integrating with, uh, a lot of your standard um, ones that are out there, we can't technically like save them until uh, until things come up. But um, they'll be out in the next couple of weeks, and, and everyone is very familiar with these places. And I think there should be some good rewards and incentivization out there. And like you know, looking in the the mid to upper teens APY. Um, obviously, it depends how popular the pools are and um, where they are. But um, you know, th- there's a lot of people who've done great stuff in this, and uh, you know, like. There's the pendles of the world and the balancers of the world, Curve, uh, Maverick. So like, we'll make sure that you can have capital um, in a variety of different places and and go earn uh, some rewards if uh, if you got the DGen in, yeah, so to speak. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, just on that topic, um, you know, we're we're seeing since Chappelle upgrade, we've we've seen a lot of new liquid state tokens kind of pop up the market. Um, trying to trying to take share away from from some of the larger incumbents. Um, wh- I guess what do you see as sort of the end game here with all these different liquid staking tokens? Um, do, do you see it kind of just consolidating amongst uh, maybe top four, or will it just keep kind of expanding to to newer new players? I think there, it just depends. Like there's there's people that um, there's like different strokes for different folks, right? And in, in, uh, what they depend like when you get in into a protocol too, like, you know, rocket pool has been extremely sticky. So like there's, there's tons of advantage of, um, you know, once you get your, uh, get your validator spun up, like you get in a pretty good position and like, they have a great community and stuff. So I think they'll hang around. Uh, Lido's liquidity is like unmatched, you know? And so, um, I think the market has to bring something that can, can kind of match the depth that they offer. Um, before, you know, that, 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 like stronghold of the market becomes a change. Um, you know, stake tracks ETH, I think is, uh, like, like I said, it's probably the most polarizing, like there's, there's huge haters and there's huge lovers uh, of it. So I think there'll always be a lot. Um, I think the hardest thing for these protocols and, and, you know, us included is, um, how to stay, uh, how to make money and, and how to stay in business, um, is a protocol. You don't make a lot of money, uh, just off staking. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're constantly thinking of different ways to monetize. Um, that is uh, that that helps the protocol like propel forward and continue to like integrate and, and help the stakers. So it's like 
but you also need to reward stakers and have the best rewards and it almost becomes like this flywheel so um yeah anyway that's it, it's one of the reasons why um we launched this nft called ether fan and and so you have to pay to mint an nft and then pay to burn it um all that that revenue is given back to stakers but we think high rewards is super super important um because you kind of create that flywheel and, and keep people um you know uh, on board with that yeah um yeah that, that makes sense ether fan uh it looks pretty interesting it's like a i think a gamified experience for for stake here east um maybe could you talk about a little, little bit more about what what's the what's the game there and um does that does that change at all with the ee uh launch coming up um so the sorry to just confirm that like with either fan and in the ee like does anything change yeah yeah so, yeah so there's no changes really so ether fan is wrapped ee is, is essentially what it, what uh the ether fan is the nft um, people are going to be able to migrate over to ETH if they want. Um, other people have, like will still stay with either fan, I'm sure, because um, it's one of those things that you can kind of just hold and and you know you're gonna gain rewards. Um, we will still repurpose all ether fan revenues back to ether fan holders. So um, I actually think there's going to be quite a bit of uh, like I think rewards will be high um, over the next you know six months or so because people will burn their nfts to get into uh ETH, but with that they will pay um you know point of five ETH to, to burn that up to you so i think that um yeah i ether fan will still be there and, and we'll still keep the fan running uh you know because there, there's a great community and crowd that we have uh kind of on that i think ETH is going to be more of the mainstream liquid staking that people are used to gotcha gotcha um yeah and then just i think lastly for me is uh, curious about what your outlook is on uh, alt alt chain deployments, whether that's uh, another alt layer one or or layer twos. Um, yeah, yeah. So we announced um, um, a grant that we got from Polygon. Uh, so we will be building on their zk EVM. We'll be the first native ETH staking on on their zk EVM. Um, you know, there's other great L twos out there too. So um, uh, I think L twos are going to be you know, there's going to be a play there. Um, and so uh, we're talking with a lot of those teams and, and you know, building on them, I think, is probably a reality, um, you know, over the, the upcoming uh, uh, weeks, months here, um, because I think that there's just a, a ton of value um, that is created by by the L2s. Awesome. Well, that's uh, all the questions I had. Um, Rocked, is there anything else uh, that you wanted to cover? On today's call. No, I, I thanks for having me. It was, it was great. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, for anyone who, who wants to, uh, ether.fi, you can get your, uh, you can apply to be whitelisted. Um, and then we should open up for everyone in the next week or so. So uh, I really appreciate you having us on. And um, yeah, love, uh, love hopping on and appreciate any feedback people have. We hope to see some people on either. Bye. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Rock. And yeah, definitely looking looking forward to EE launch next week. Thanks, everyone. Sounds good, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. This show was brought to you by Exponential. Exponential is on a mission to democratize access to the best yield opportunities in DeFi. Join Exponential.fi now to start your DeFi investing journey.